All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We've got a couple of announcements. Uh, there are free Bibles on the shelf under the coat rack. There's free booklets, devotionals, and other helpful materials are available in the small table in the lobby. Um, it, when in doubt, steal it. Okay? When in doubt, steal it. The church can replace it. If you need it, take it. Okay? If you need a chair out of here, no, I'm kidding. But it, if you, whatever you need, take it. If you need a Bible, if you want to have a Bible or you want to have a couple of Bibles to keep in your car, uh, you know, the guys that are standing on the corners uh, asking for money, maybe throw them a five with a Bible. Uh, you know what I mean? Whatever God puts on your heart to do, uh, do that. But, but they're, they're there for you guys. And there's devotionals and uh, all sorts of things for you guys to take advantage of. Um, most of you know this, but in between first and second service, we have a fellowship hour downstairs, a coffee hour. So we'd like to invite everybody to join us for that whenever you can. And if you if you're come for second service at some point in time, it's nice sometimes to come a little early and you can get a cup of coffee. And we do allow coffee in, in, the, in the, I don't know if we allow donuts up here, but we do allow coffee, donuts, coffee, lasagna, whatever floats your boat. Uh, Tuesday, May 11th, uh, we're going to be having an adult dinner night out at Avicoli's in Fayetteville. And that'll be at 6, 6 o'clock p.m. Everyone is welcome to join us, of course. Uh, and there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Um, and let's see, Wednesday, May 12th, which will be the day after the adult dinner, uh, the adult Bible study at 7 is here in the auditorium upstairs, and it's also going to be on Zoom. And we're doing our youth group downstairs. And then May 16th, uh, we are having, of course, communion and our church fellowship sup supper. And I'm supposed to say... The Lord's Supper will be served. Well, you guys know this stuff. I'm not going to read too much here. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Also at the supper this month, this is all new to me. If you couldn't tell, I wasn't giving this a study. Uh, also at the supper, the church supper this month, and Andy and Liz Yasinovsky, which raise your hand, guys. There they are. There they are. Thank you. Uh, they're going to be sharing their testimony uh, about how God literally uh, saved, saved their lives uh, a few months back. Some of you know their story. Uh, it's, it's miraculous. It's supernatural. And um, God was with them that evening. So um, they're going to be sharing that story for all of us. So that'll be a blessing as well. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, <clears throat> we're going to be covering about 10 verses this morning and, and uh, kind of focusing in on one, one thought here. Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, and this is a long chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, again, I, I reiterate this almost every single week because it's important to understand context, okay? One of the reasons that, that people uh, basically, dis, they, what am I trying to word, write word I'm looking for, that they deny that the Bible is God's word is because they lack context, Okay, uh, people all the time. I was watching a, a a video and it was guy speaking on a college campus, and and this woman quoted the time the the verse where Jesus said, "No one has seen the Father at any time." And then she goes to the other verse and says, uh, "You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, or, or I've seen the Father," and, and she was using that as as a discrepancy in the Bible. And, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my goodness, wow!" But there's a lack of context there, right? Uh, I mean, you could take almost any book, uh, whether it's a liter literary book or a history book, and you could pick and pull certain things out of it and make it say all sorts of crazy things, right? Not only that, you could, you could take certain things out of it out of context and, and, and use it in order to disprove that book, okay? The Bible has to be taken as a whole, 
has to be taken as a whole. And there's nothing in the Bible that, that, that I'm ashamed of. There's nothing in the Bible that I say, oh, gee, I wish we wouldn't talk about that. There's absolutely nothing. But it's important, and this is why when we go through the Scriptures, we go from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 23, because it's important that we understand the whole counsel of God. That this is one, as Chuck Missler used to always say, that this is one integrated message system from outside our time-space domain, right? And as you study the Word of God, what you begin to realize is that you could literally rip out entire portions of the Bible. Chuck Missler used to say that just like when we used to send codes during the war, we would set them up and send them in such a way that they could endure hostile jamming. Because we knew that the enemy would be trying to intercept those codes or scramble those codes in such a way so that when it got to the troops, they wouldn't be able to make sense of it and they wouldn't know what the orders were. And so we would construct these codes in such a way that in spite of all that hostile jamming, the troops would still be able to get the message from their superiors and carry out the orders. You know where I'm going with this, right? The Bible was set up the same way. One of the things I always like to point out is the Apostle Paul uh, and the, all the apostles, when they were going around and they were teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they didn't have the New Testament, right? They're the ones that were writing the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, and yet the Bible says that Paul would go in the synagogues and he would prove unequivocally from the scriptures, and that is the Old Testament scriptures. That is the law and the prophets. That is the Torah. He would prove from those scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. He knew his Bible. Almost 85% of the New Testament is, in some way, shape, or form, a direct quotation of something in the Old Testament. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And it's been simplified even further uh, by someone who once said, the Bible is simply this. The Old Testament is Jesus is coming, and the New Testament is Jesus is here, right? But this book, taken as a whole and read together in context, it makes perfect sense. And people that don't understand Old Covenant versus New Covenant, what God was doing to the nation of Israel versus what God is doing to the church, don't understand, and so they make all, and, they're, and they're easily deceived. And this is why it's so important as believers in Jesus Christ that we study the Word of God, not just together on Sundays, but in your own personal time during the week, that you know what this book has to say. Because otherwise, it is so easy for us to be deceived. And so many times throughout church history, the church has been led astray by this wind of doctrine or that wind of doctrine or this new movement or that new movement or this new book or this new artist or whatever the case may be. And people are led astray simply because they don't know what the Bible has to say. And so they're told things and they believe things that are contrary to God's word and they go with them and they find uh, eventually in their lives that they get to a place where, where there's a small shipwreck that happens that's based upon that movement or that doctrine because it wasn't ever God's word. And so they start to get discouraged, say, well, God's word really hasn't been true in my life. You have to read and study and know, Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. One of the stories I heard was of a, of a, of a young lady who went into a bank uh, to become a teller. And all they had her do all day long for eight hours was count genuine United States currency. Thunk, 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 all day long. Thunk, 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 thunk. Day after day, thunk, 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 thunk. 
And then on the last day of her training, before they put her behind the counter, they snuck a counterfeit bill into the stack of money. And she was sharing with this preacher that shared this story that she's like, I didn't even have to to look at it. I didn't have to hold it up to the light and look for the secret shapes and colors and watermarks. As soon as my finger touched it, I knew it wasn't genuine. And so it is with the word of God. If we study it and we know it and we're encouraged by it, as soon as you're presented with something that goes contrary to the word of God, you know it in your heart. And then you can go in and you can study it and you can find it for yourself and have that confirmation and that approval from God knowing like, wow, thank you, Lord, that I wasn't led astray because I studied your word. So context is so important. And here we have the children of Israel who have been delivered from the land of Egypt, brought to Mount Sinai, brought through the wilderness to the promised land, only to reject God's word and reject God's promises of bringing them into the promised land because of what they saw with their physical eyes and their physical frames, afraid of the giants and afraid of the hardships of the land. And so their faith is absolutely shipwrecked. And God says, because of your unbelief, you're going to wander in the desert until you die. And it's your children, that next generation, that are going to go into the promised land, and I'm going to give them the victory over the giants of that land. And sure enough, 40 years they wandered in the desert until that generation passed away, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And now here we have them coming, this next generation, just about to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. And it's like, you think, Moses golly, shouldn't this be a time of rejoicing? Shouldn't this be a time of pumping up the troops? Shouldn't this be a time of planning, of strategizing? And all Moses wants to do is preach. And all Moses wants to do because of the Spirit of God is prophesy and tell them this, the only thing that matters is your status with Almighty God. The enemy doesn't matter. The landscape doesn't matter. The hardships and the troubles and the persecutions and the tribulations don't matter. What's before you, what's behind you, what's above you, and what's below you doesn't matter. It's your relationship with God Almighty and your subservience to His Word that matters. And if you're obedient to God's word and in your simple faith, you choose to follow after him all the days of your lives and to tell and teach your children to do exactly the same, you will have the victory. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to plan the battle strategies. You don't have to run around scared and frightened and confused. But if you just put your faith and your hope and your trust in me and obey what my word has to say, I will give you the victory. The Bible tells us to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for you. And as our pastor always tells us, how many is all? How many is all? Well, not that. Lord, I got this one. I got this one, Lord. Now listen to me, because you can get weird, okay? And I'm weird enough just on my own, all right? And I'm, this doesn't mean if you get sick, you don't go to the doctor, okay? That's silliness, Okay? This doesn't mean that because of your faith, you don't exercise any common sense. You don't want to get up in the morning and say, Lord, should I floss this morning? Lord, I hate the floss. Lord, should I floss? Should I use the Listerine this morning? Lord, last night my wife was re- just said my breath was repugnant. Lord, but if it's your will, brush your disgusting teeth, floss those chiclets, and for the love of Pete, please use Listerine, Okay? You don't have to see, you understand the point I'm making, right? Use your common sense. God gave that to you. 
God gave you a mind. God is the God who says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He wants you to use your mind. It's not turn the faith on and turn the mind off. No, it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship of the common sense and the mind that God is giving you working along with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and being uh, directed and guided by the word of God that he's given you. And all of these things working together in conjunction leads you to that verse that says, all and everything that we need for life and godliness is found in our knowledge of him. All of those things working together, the physical things that he's given you, your mind, your common sense, your reason, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and the word of God, it'll take you where you need to go. But don't let ever let anything become preeminent to the word of God, especially, 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 your feelings. Well, I feel that. Right? I mean, some of the, the political discussion that has become fruitless, I think, in, in many ways, but there's a couple of guys that say, facts don't care about your feelings. Have you heard this? And, and, and we should never, I don't believe that we as Christians should just discount people's feelings. I'm hurting. Who cares? You know what I mean? That, that's not Jesus Christ. That's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Jesus Christ did care about how people were feeling. And Jesus Christ came alongside of people and brought comfort to people. He was never harsh with the people. He was gentle with the people. He was understanding with the people. And we ought to be the same exact way. But, but, God's word is God's word. And all through Israel's history, they found themselves shipwrecked and defeated and broken over and over and over again because they did what they felt like doing instead of what God had told them to do. Your feelings alone will shipwreck you faster than almost anything else. What is right? What is right? What does God's word say? When you look around our country today and you see the chaos and you see the discord and you see the, the, the disunity and the hate that's going around, and it will be, it's because of this thing, or it's because of that thing, it's because of this thing from history, or it's because of that thing from history, we have utterly and completely cast off the Lord God from our society. We have absolutely asked him to please have no part or no place in anything we do together as a people. In fact, uh, there was, not too long ago, in Congress, and I don't know the exact, I don't remember the exact details of it, but somebody mentioned something from the Bible, and then the leader of the speaker of that, uh, of that, the house or whatever it was, said, we don't worry about what the Bible has to say in this body. We don't, we don't care what the Bible has to say in this body. Right? And, 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 I, and I guess that's, it is what it is. But the bottom line is, is God is not a God who's, who's you know, the kid, uh, you know, the, the mean kid standing on an anthill with a magnifying glass waiting to burn you. You know what I mean? That's not who God is. God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. And nobody ever look, need look any further than Jesus Christ. Well, God is this, and God is this, and God is this. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. God sent his only begotten son. And he became a man of low reputation with nothing to live a perfect life of godly surrender and showing people exactly what it looks like to be perfectly in love with God and perfectly at peace with man. 
and perfectly walking in the truth. And for that, people tortured him to death and hated him and reviled him and screamed out with venom in their voice, we will not have this man to rule over us. And yet he died. Every fist that smashed his face and ripped out his beard and spit on him, he was holding together the atoms that existed to make that possible because he's Almighty God. And he allowed every single bit of it because it was the only way that you and I could be restored to fellowship with God. And that's the love that God has for you. You've heard people say before don't major on the minors. And that's all people seem to want to do. They want to discount the glorious gospel message for their feelings or for this thing or for that thing. Well, (laughs) it's no new thing, is it? It goes all the way back to the beginning. Mankind has always gone his own way. Mankind, this is why the Bible says, the heart of man is a desperately wicked thing. And beyond finding out, beyond knowing it, in other words, the prophet was saying, you don't even know what you're capable of. But then God steps in and says, I alone search the heart and know the mind. God knows every single thing there is to know about mankind. And yet, and yet, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption, it's a beautiful thing. And time and time again, we cast him aside. We cast him aside. We cast him aside. Wow. It blows your mind, doesn't it? When you look around you and you see the answer to the problems everywhere is Jesus Christ. We cannot be saying, and the Bible is very clear about this, you cannot claim to have fellowship with God. You cannot claim to be walking with God and yet have hatred for your brother, right? The Bible teaches us that there is no race. There's one race, the human race, right? There is no nationality. There is no sexes in God. We are all one in Jesus Christ. But the opposite of that is true as well. We are all divided without Jesus Christ. And that's the world we find ourselves living in today. And that's the world that Moses saw coming for this young generation who was about to enter into the promised land and see the victorious hand of God and see the defeat of their enemies and see the abundance of the blessing that God was going to bring upon their nation and upon their children and upon their livestock and upon their crops. And yet, in spite of that, God knew these people are going to reject me. These people are going to seek to cast me off because they always want to do it their own way. So we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verse 36, and God has been going through the cursing, which is a lot longer than the blessing. The blessing's simple, isn't it? If you serve God with all your heart and you love God, God's going to bless your life. As simple as that. You could, you, could, you could put it all up in that. You walk in the Spirit, and you walk according to the Word of God, and you love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You're going to still have tribulation. You're still going to have trouble. There's still going to be sickness, just like everyone else has. But your overall life, the overall 36,000-foot view of your life is going to be victory, is going to be blessing. <clears throat> and the opposite is true. And God goes on and on about that. Verse 36, he begins to prophesy now, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods 
wood, and stone. Moses died in 1402 B.C., and the first king, Saul, was anointed king around 1050 B.C. That's a 350-year span approximately, after Moses spoke these words. The nation of Israel was never to have a king. They were to be ruled by God. They were to be a theocracy. They were to live their lives and to run their government based on the word of God, right? You had the priesthood, and then you had the judges. And the priesthood oversaw the worship of the people and God, and the judges oversaw the law and order according to the word of God. Great system, great system, uncompromising, hard at times, but a great system for keeping a society in order. The time of the judges, after the children of Israel come into the land of uh, the promised land, and Joshua leads them until he dies and he passes away, and then we go into the next book, which is Judges. And if you've ever read through Judges, you see, I mean, it's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? I mean, it's up and down, it's up and down. It's the same thing. Uh, to say it was erratic is an, is an understatement, with Israel falling into idolatry and then repentance continually, and parallel to their falling into idolatry and their coming to repentance was the victory or defeat over or by their enemies, just as God had promised them. And at the end of the book of Judges, you get into the book of 1 Samuel, we have this beautiful account of this woman who was unable to bear children, and she goes to the temple to worship, and she prays before God, and God answers her prayers and gives her a boy. And the promise that she made was, God, if you'll give me a son, I promise as soon as he's weaned, he'll serve in your house all the days of his life. And that was how Samuel was born. And his mother, as soon as he was weaned, brought him to the temple, and he grew up and lived and served the Lord his God from the time he was a small child till the time of his death. And during the time when Samuel was judge over the nation of Israel, and in fact, he was the last judge over the nation of Israel before they demanded a king, Israel was, in, uh, was enjoying one of the most beautiful times of peace and safety that they ever had. Why? Not because Samuel was some great warrior, not because Samuel was some great general and led the children of Israel into great battles, victorious. God led them in some battles during Samuel's time, but it wasn't Samuel. They were focused on obeying the word of God. Samuel brought them back to repentance. Samuel brought them back to a place where they were seeking after God, and all the promises that God had given them began to take place in their lives, and their land was blessed, and their homes were blessed. And it's in the midst of that, it's in the midst of that blessing, it's in the midst of what all had God had promised that he was bringing to pass that they demanded a king. And this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, and it says this, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Two things led to the people demanding a king. 
first of all, was Samuel's sons not being like their father, uh, not being like-minded their father, not being wholehearted in their service towards God. And the second thing was the people wanting to be like the other nations. So it was this, two, this twofold idea. The leadership was not being what they ought to have been before the Lord. The leadership, which was going to be Samuel's sons taking over for him, were not doing the right things before the Lord. They were not honest like Samuel was. They were not doing the right things. And the people saw that and lost heart. And the second thing that goes right along with that is the people want to be like everyone else in the world. Man, there is such a drive and there is such a a, a hunger in our hearts of flesh to be like the rest of the world and to do the things that the other people of the world are doing, which is exactly what God has told us not to do. Departing from the Lord and seeking worldly answers to life's problems and moral problems go hand in hand, (laughs) and the result is always the same, short-term success and long-term failure. You think of all of the programs and all the things. Look at our society right now, right? I mean, there's a new thing every day to fight, fight racism and, and, and fight this aphobia and fight that aphobia and all these things, and we got to fix it. We gotta, and all the things that our government is trying to do to patch things up, and the faster that they throw the spackle on, the faster it falls apart. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And it's the exact same reason that it happened in the nation of Israel. Nothing is new under the sun. And this is what God had said to the nation of Israel in Hosea chapter 5 and verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Because he willingly walked by human precept. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, that's number one, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, a cistern could either be outside of the ground or it could be a cistern could be inside of the ground, like a deep well made out of rock or clay, and the cistern was only as good as its integrity. If there was a crack, if there was a break in the cistern, it ain't going to hold any water, right? Certain things. One of the things I always say, the proof is in the pudding, right? The proof is in the pudding. People do this, and governments, and groups of people, and we're for this, and we're for that, and we're for this, and we're for that. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding, And God says, these people have done two things, and this is why they find themselves in such a bad state and in such a bad place. It's twofold. First of all, they've rejected my word. They've rejected my word. They they have refused to have me rule over them. And the second thing is, they've sought their help from human concepts, from human understanding, from human reason and logic. And these are broken cisterns. We're right back to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the mountain of the blessing and the mountain of the cursing, the mountain of the spirit versus the mountain of the flesh. In Greek mythology, uh, Sisyphus, it's kind of a weird name, it kind of looks like sissy, <laughs> sissy fuss, <laughs> but Sisyphus, and you guys, any of you who studied Greek mythology in college or high school might remember this guy, he was famous for two things, his cleverness during his life and the punishment he suffered after death. Uh, Although stories about Sisyphus differ somewhat in their details, he is usually referred to as the king of Corinth. 
Interesting. The king of Corinth. Uh, as punishment for tricking the gods, and that was what he was really known for. He played all these tricks on the gods and was able to escape and trick them and, and, and escape out of their hands, and he played all these tricks on them. And because of that, the punishment was he was placed on a hillside in the underworld with a heavy boulder above him, and to escape being crushed, he had to push the boulder uphill. The gods told him that if he rolled the stone to the other side, they would release him. But each time he reached the top, the boulder would roll back down to the bottom, forcing Sisyphus to start over. The phrase labor of Sisyphus refers to any hopeless task that must be repeated endlessly. Now, here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. That boulder, <laughs> Sisyphus's work, that boulder, that labor, that rolling it up the hill, only to have it roll back down, we can't find any answers for the problems are found in walking in the spirit, rather walking in the flesh. Verses 38 to 42, um, let's see, what did I, I miss? Um, the Lord will bring you and the king whom he set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And we, we read that. And 37, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You know, this is the nation that had King Solomon reigning over them. This is a nation where the temple, there was so much gold in the temple that I can't remember how many miles away you could see the temple from on a clear day in Israel, Solomon's temple, because it was, it was at that point in time one of the wonders of the world. And to see them go from that place to a divided kingdom to finally crumbling and being taken captive by Babylon, all the people around them were astonished by it. And God told them, that's exactly what's going to happen. People are going to be astonished by you when they see what's become of you if you depart from me. Rebellion and idolatry became uh, the Sisyphus rock, if you will, of the children of Israel and the nation. And they suffered under their own hand for hundreds of years until finally the Lord had had enough and sent the judgment through uh, Assyria and Babylon. And from the time of the Babylonian captivity, from Assyria to Babylon to Persia, uh, that's when Cyrus gave that command and that decree for, them, for some of the Jews to return to Israel uh, and begin to rebuild the city and rebuild the walls. And until that point in time, one of the reasons that no king had been willing to do so was because the kings believed that at the first chance the Jews got, they would rebel against them. And of course, they were right. Uh, this came from the true place they desired in their hearts as being independent from any other nation, but the notion was only given within their obedience to God. The Jewish people, the Israelite people, had, have always had this burning desire for freedom and independence, and being ruled over by these foreign nations always was an absolute torture to them. No doubt it, is to, it would be some degree to anybody or any group of people, but especially it was to the Israelites because of where they'd come from. And it's this amazing and interesting phenomenon where people understand where they came from and where they find themselves now, and they see the things in their life that got them to this place that they don't want to be, and they want that original blessing without the obedience without doing the things that God has said. If you do these things, you'll live by them. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll live according to the Spirit, and you'll have victory in your life. And the opposite is true as well. The Babylonian captivity cured 
the Jewish people of idolatry. When they came back to the land of Israel, there was no more idols. There was no more idol worship. There was no more altars to Baal. There was no more Asherah poles or any of these other things. But instead, their idolatry was replaced with religion and national pride, which became as bad as their idolatry had been. And that's the people that Jesus came to. And that's why Jesus said this in Luke chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as bad as the Babylonian captivity was and their oppression uh, under Persia and Greece and then under Roman rule, it was nothing compared to what happened to them in 70 AD. Uh, when Titus came in and sacked the city and destroyed the temple and slaughtered the people and drove them out of that land into all the nations of the world, which is where they remained until May 4th, May 14th, 1948. Is it 14th? Yeah. <laughs> when they declared themselves a nation, when they were brought back to the promised land again, but because of what? The Holocaust. It's just that incredible story when when you're reading through the Gospels and Jesus is going to the cross and the woman comes up to him and she's weeping and he's like, don't weep for me. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for your children and for your children's children because when Pilate was judging him, the people were crying out, let his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children. They had no idea what they were saying. That's why Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, And so the answer has always been and always will be submission to God's word. But man is incapable. We are as stubborn and rebellious as they were. And we see the results, guys, all around us, all around us. Um, Here's what's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Understand and know the times that you live in. I got a call from a buddy last night and he was like, Frank, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, I was just reading this whole thing about how the world financial leaders are saying we've got to come together under one currency. We've we've got to have a currency that everybody can use. It's not unstable like the dollar or this or that. We've got, this is the only answer to the economic uh, devastation that is ahead of us is a a worldwide currency. And he was like, can you believe that? (laughs) Can you believe that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Here's what I've been saying. Do you guys know, if you've read, have you seen that the Pentagon has come out openly and released videos saying UFOs are absolutely 100% real and they are engaging with our pilots and, and, and every day when we're up there doing our dogfighting simulations, these, 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 these vessels come into the, into the training area and we can't do anything with it. We couldn't even engage them if we tried. And everyone's just like, when's my stimulus check coming in? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Like, like in what, you live in a world and you live in a time where the government is saying, UFOs are absolutely real. They're absolutely 100% real. And people are like, okay, all right, cool. What's on tonight, honey? What, what's, the, what's, what's the movie on tonight? When are they going to open these stupid theaters back up? I need a new Marvel film, you know. 
And it's like, are you kidding me? Now, you know, we, 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 people ask me, do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in extraterrestrials? The short answer is no. I got more to say about that because I don't like to be arrogant about uh, the, the, the majestic size of God. But the word of God gives us God's plan for the universe, right? And there's one planet that can inhabit life and it's ours. And it was created for a purpose. The, 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 the need to believe in extraterrestrial life, and, and you need to understand this, becomes from evolution. The, the, the desperate need of this world to cling to the, the theory of evolution is what allows them, or, and, or rather drives them to say, there must be life elsewhere. There must be life elsewhere. Because if it happened here, by random chance, it had to happen someplace else, by random chance. There must be extraterrestrial life. But we were chosen. God created the heavens and the earth. God created this world. And God created human beings for the purpose of worshiping and serving him and having relationship and fellowship with him. And because that was broken through sin, Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. Uh, a lot of pastors have said, look, it, if there was an alien civilization, you know, the Vulcans or something on some other planet, those idiots had sinned too, right? And then they'd have, they'd have to send Jesus there with pointy Spock ears to die on the cross for those people, right? There's, there's nothing in Scripture that even alludes to that. So, so, so then, and there's, we have video. I think we have like VHS tapes. I don't even know if you can use those anymore. But we used to have VHS tapes, and it was about UFOs and about the fact that for, long before the Pentagon came out and said, they're real, there is so much evidence and so many eyewitness accounts, plausible, real, credible people and eyewitness accounts and stuff, you can't just dismiss it out of hand. So what are they? And any time that anyone has had some sort of contact with so-called extraterrestrials, the message is always humanistic in nature. It's the evolving of humankind to the next level of, of the evolutionary scale in our enlightenment. And woo, it's a Tower of Babel. The lies of Satan never change. And we're talking last night, I'm like, you see what's going on in the Middle East? You see what's going on with Russia and Turkey and Syria and Iran and how the United States now, it's like, you know, Israel who? And Ezekiel 38 and 39 is being set up. I was like, imagine this, imagine this. And, and we have no idea. Like God gives us this big overall picture of what's going to happen, but the details, you, it's fun, right? It's fun to go, oh, maybe it's this. Oh, maybe it's, you have no idea. And when you see it, you're going to be like, oh, you know what I mean? Because God, you were, wow. But I said, just imagine Ezekiel 38, all of these nations, Russia, Syria, Iran, Turkey, uh, all of these nations that are listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39 using their ancient names come against Israel to wipe her off the face of the, the planet. It's a sneak attack. And God sends fire from where? From heaven. Not only on those armies to wipe them out and destroy them, but also on their homelands and their capital cities. You ever see... Uh, Independence Day? <laughs> you ever see Armageddon? These movies? Does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Why do you think some of these movies are there? If you don't think that there's a deceptive influence or something to get you used to things, you're crazy. And so fire comes from heaven, destroys these armies, goes to their capital cities, destroys them. And then imagine if right around that same time, millions of people disappear off the planet Earth kind of like an abduction. Hello? And then one of these dumb ships lands. Because we, we see, when we think of angels and we think of demons, we think of them like they got a slingshot and a sword. You know what I mean? They're like, they're dealing with the dark ages. I don't know. Whoop, 
What's that? What is that? Some sort of a computer thing? Ooh, like the like you know what I'm saying? Like they're archaic. You know how smart angels are? You don't think that they have technology? We 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 just assume that they don't have any kind of technology. We have no idea. And demons are deceiving and lying spirits. Imagine that goes down, the rapture goes down, and then here comes the man, whether it's off a ship or however it works, and says, I belong to an intergalactic community, and these people have been taken off the world for re-education, and to show that you're a part of the next uh, phase in human evolution, all you got to do is take this mark on your hand or your forehead. They'll line up. No, I don't know if that's how it's going to go down. It might be off my rocker. But you see these things, and Jesus says, when you see these things begin to take place, what are you supposed to do? Look up, for your redemption draws near. And if you look around at the world today and you think, I don't think Jesus is coming back, you ain't paying attention. And so here is the patience of the saints, right? And here is where our focus is, because we're talking about the nation of Israel, and we see what these poor people have been through. I mean, the Jewish nation... And God has dealt with them so harshly, and, and I don't even like to talk about what the Scripture has to say prophetically about the tribulation period, because the Antichrist is going to seek to wipe them off the face of the planet. It's going to look, the World War II uh, Holocaust look like a, a Sunday school picnic. It's going to be absolutely awful. And why would God allow that? And why would God do that? I don't know. I really don't know why God works the way he works sometimes, or why he does the things that he does. I believe him, though. And I trust him completely. And through that, this is going to take place, what Jesus said to them, where he said, you shall not see me until the time comes when you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Old Testament prophet says, they will, they will look upon him and they will mourn. This is a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. They will look upon him and they will mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And they're going to say, what are these wounds in your hands and your feet and your side? And you're going to say, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. And that day is going to come when Jesus Christ at the end of that tribulation period he appears in the clouds and he wipes out the armies of Antichrist and Antichrist himself and Satan is thrown to the bottomless pit and his foot is going to touch the Mount of Olives and it's going to split down the middle and it's going to open up that eastern gate and he's going to walk into Jerusalem, baby. And let me tell you something, when it gets to that point and when he finally sets his feet down on planet earth and defeats the powers and armies of darkness and walks into Jerusalem, what do you think they're going to say? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't wait. I'm going to be with him, by the way. Are you? I think you are. What's that going to be like, right? We ought to be excited. Listen, don't let your feelings, don't let your feelings, you know, you look, you watch the news, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're either, you're either crying or you're like, ah, kill him, you know what I mean? <laughs> your feelings, your dumb feelings, no, 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 God's setting everything up. God is arranging everything exactly as he promised he would. It is all coming to that place. It all comes down to this. Brothers and sisters, where's our heart at? Where's our heart at? Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? It's almost like he's like, will I, will I even find faith on earth? We have the story of the, the wise and the foolish virgins. 
and, and before the bridegroom came, how many of them were sleeping? All of them. You know, you know you're asleep at the wheel, right? You know, every time you get started and you're praying and you're like, oh, I'm asleep at the wheel again. You know what, Lord? I'm not going to fall asleep at the wheel anymore. You know what I <laughs> But listen to me. It's not a guilt. God knows you. God knows your heart. His Holy Spirit. And when I was talking to my buddy last night and I was like, you understand what's happening? The reason that you're seeing these things, you're being woken up. The Holy Spirit's waking you up going, hey, hello, McFly. You see what's going on in the world? Hello? Right? And he is going to wake us up. And I pray, I pray, I pray when he taps us on the shoulder, we're ready. And that we're ready to run out and tell people about Jesus. I don't know if it's going to be easy, guys. Because you're going to be called all sorts of terrible things. Hateful, bigoted, thisophobe, thatophobe. And exactly the same way that all the men and women of God have been treated throughout the ages. Everyone who's ever stood on the word of God through difficult times has been persecuted for it. But God is faithful, and God will give us the strength that we need to do what he calls us to do, amen? amen. Hey, our job right now, let's seek his face. Let's seek his face. Let's draw in, let's draw in close to the heart of God so that he can have his way in us, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for, for your glorious uh, grace and mercy towards us, Lord, that you are so patient and long-suffering with us. And no matter how many times we fall down, Lord, you, you allow us to get right back up and to jump right back on that path, Father, following after Jesus Christ, trying to walk in his footsteps. And we stumble and we fall and we, we, we get all out of whack and out in the buckwheat, Lord. And oh, you're so gracious to just, just every single time deliver us, bring us back to the fold. And, Lord, we pray that as we, as we draw towards the, the end of days, Lord God, whenever that time is, whether it's now, whether it's in 20 years, whatever, Lord, that you would, in our hearts personally, Lord, you'd be honing us in, drawing us in to the fellowship through the Holy Spirit, Father, with you. We pray, Lord God, that the, the goals and the aims and the aspirations of our lives would, would be less and less about us and our plans and our feelings, Lord, and more and more about, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? And how do you want me to be, Lord? Help us to be those people, Father. We love you and we praise you. We thank you. We pray that you be with all the churches around the world today who are gathering together in Jesus' name to study your word and to praise the name of Jesus and to preach the gospel of truth. Father, bless them. Bless their services. Bless their people. Uh, Lord, in every way, and we pray that you'd be bringing people into the kingdom, into salvation, Lord, uh, by the droves, Father, before Jesus Christ returns. In his name, we ask all these things, Lord. Amen. 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 And, and I, I forget to say something. If there's anybody ever here, if you've never been born again, if you've never asked Jesus Christ, and it's not just like, yeah, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe. No, no, no. If you've never confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be your Lord and your Savior, if you've never been born again, I always want to leave that invitation open. You know, come grab me and, and we'll go in the office and, I, and, I'll, and I'll lead you to the Lord. Uh, I, think, I think maybe everyone here is all set, but <laughs> um, I, I don't ever want to leave that on the table. So, and, and, and listen, I challenge you, one, one more thing, I challenge you guys this too. You guys are like, there's coffee and donuts waiting, shut your mouth. I challenge you the same, same thing too. Ask, ask God to show, to put people in your life that you need to ask that question to. I didn't say ask God to put people in your life that are always going to say yes. Ask God to put people in your life that you are going to be able to frame that question to and ask them, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Do you know who he is?
Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent of the blood of no man. <laughs> Paul, was a, Paul was innocent of the blood of a lot of people before Jesus Christ. But he was talking about his, his ministry. I never fail to tell people about Jesus. You need Jesus Christ. You know? And that needs to be heavy on our hearts, guys. Preeminent in our lives. Everyone that you have, your work, at home, friends, family, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You know how to talk to him. I don't know how to talk to him. You know what I mean? We're not going around to try to offend people, but they need to know. They need to know the rapture could happen right now. The rapture could happen tomorrow. And your ministry on this planet's over for seven years. <laughs> right? This is the time that God has given us. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And yet the scripture says, how will they know if no one tells them? We are his hands and his feet. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I love you guys. God bless you.